You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Have you ever been certain that something was going to happen, but it didn't? Have you ever been certain that something was not going to happen, and then it did? So how did the turn of events make you feel? I can imagine that either, even if you were giddy or distraught, it's not that your faith was shaken, but perhaps your confidence was. How did I miss this? How is it possible that I miss it? Imagine how Jesus' disciples must have felt on the night that he was arrested. Peter and the disciples had been sleeping, and it finally occurred to me why they were sleeping. It was daylight savings time. It was that somewhere along in there. uh, uh, It just struck me uh, last night. So our text this morning is John 18, 1 through 27, and the title of the message is Confusion at Jesus' Arrest. No joke. No joke. Everyone was confused in the early moments of Jesus' arrest and all through the next day, although there were some who were certain that they had gotten it right. They had arrested Jesus, had him tried, condemned, sent him off to be crucified. As surprised as all were on this Passover night and into the morning, they would be even more surprised on Easter Sunday. Our text is a long one. We'll begin by reading the first 11 verses of John 18. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, possibly a walled-in garden, which he and his disciples entered, Gethsemane. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, almost every single time you see Judas' name mentioned in the Gospels, they're bringing this up. They could never get over it. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words that he had spoken. Of those to whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. 
The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated. Think about that phrase, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week in Gethsemane, we found Peter sleeping time and again, even though Jesus came to him and said, please stay awake, watch and pray with me. Jesus said this out of deep sorrow. Peter was wide awake now as he saw Judas lead this band of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And, and, and Mark tells us, the other, some of the other synoptics tells us, tell us that, that Judas came and kissed Jesus, he he betrayed him with a kiss. So Jesus asked the soldiers whom they were seeking, to which they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we see this often in John's gospel. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, identify where Jesus is from, it's often done with a dig, an edge to it, a dig. They're mocking him. It's almost as if the soldiers were saying, we're here for Jesus of Hicksville. That's who we're here for. And we're mocking him. And I thought about it as we sang this morning, mocked Jesus was all day long. In those first electric moments, Jesus' disciples were confused. They were surprised that the guards had come to arrest Jesus, and they were shocked to, to, to realize that, that Judas had been revealed as the traitor. And now the guards had their first moment of confusion when they asked Jesus, or they said, We're come, we have come for Jesus of Nazareth, and he didn't say, I'm Jesus. Rather, he said, Ego me in the Greek. Very possibly, I was trying to determine, do you think he spoke in Aramaic or Greek? Very possibly in Greek because it could have been some Roman soldiers in the mix here. Could have been a bunch of Roman soldiers in the mix. So Jesus, it's written that he says, ego emi, which means I am he or literally I am. It's the same way God identified himself to Moses when Moses had asked, who am I going to tell the Israelites sent me? And he said, tell them I am has sent you. It's the same thing Jesus had answered the Pharisees in, in John chapter 8 when they inquired about his identity. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was very much in control of the interaction this night at the garden when he was arrested. Now, look, I know we tend to read Scripture through our own personalities, but maybe you can see with me a bit of humor, almost a touch of humor. Like earlier in the night, the disciple said, Now you speak plainly, and we understand. And he said, Oh, do you understand? Well, good, let's go. We're heading for Gethsemane. And now... They said, we're looking for Jesus from Hicksville. And he answers, I am your creator. I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, 
and Isaac and of Moses. I could call my father and he could obliterate you with legions of angels. So say again, who was it you were asking for? Who? who? It's me you wanted? Let these men go. Once again, very much in charge. By this time, Peter had been roused from his stupor. He thought, okay, this is the moment. This is the moment. So he whips out his sword and lops off the ear of the high priest's servant, whose name was Malchus. Now, you may be tempted to think, oh, Peter, there you go again. But when you know the facts, you might not think Peter so much impetuous, but brave beyond anything else that anybody did that. In Luke 22, we're given further insight into the exchange between Jesus and his disciples leading up to this moment. Somewhere between the supper and Gethsemane, Jesus spoke these words in Luke 22, verses 36 to 38. Jesus said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak. And buy one, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. It's hard for me to fault Peter for his actions, although he was clearly wrong because Jesus rebuked him. So I'm not trying to make a case for Peter's actions here, but at least I understand Peter's actions. He was confused and even more so when Jesus told him that armed conflict was not the way. John uh, Luke tells us that Jesus healed Malchus' ear. There's no doubt Jesus was resolved to drink the cup that the Father had given to him, the cup of wrath that we talked about last week, that the Lord pours out either on Jesus or on sinners, which is why it's best for us to hide behind the cross because that wrath of God is coming. And when we repent of our sins and trust Jesus' sacrifice as our only hope for heaven, our only hope for the payment for our sins, then we are saved. We know that now because the New Testament epistles help us make sense of all that Jesus said and did. One of the great ways that Satan confuses God's people is to to get them to think, I'm a red-letter Christian. I just follow the words of Jesus. We don't understand the words of Jesus apart from the epistles. It all works together, and the epistles tell us how Jesus fulfilled all of the New Testament, and they explain the gospel to us. It's all over, especially the Gospel of John. But there are times where when we're reading the the Gospels, we're just as confused as, as Peter was and all the disciples were on this night. So Peter didn't know nearly as much as we know. And even though Jesus rebuked him and undid the damage that Peter had done in his zeal for the Lord, Peter, still trying to make sense of everything that was happening, followed at a distance where Jesus was brought before Annas and and Caiaphas. 
going to read the rest of our text as the narrative that it is. And then I'm going to offer four points of application. Is there going to be some that we miss in this text doing it this way? Yes. And there are questions about the order of events on this evening. Was Jesus first questioned by Annas and then by Caiaphas? Was there a lull between first Peter's first denial and, and then his second and third denials? Uh, or did all three occur in rapid succession? We know that after this informal inquiry before Annas, Jesus was sent before Caiaphas in the, in the Sanhedrin where he was condemned and sent on to the Romans with the hopes that they would crucify him. Most of the activities on this night violated Jewish law. But they fulfilled God's sovereign purposes. If you have a study Bible or a commentary for any of the four Gospels, you'll be able to fill in the blanks. You'll be able to make sense of this evening. Although I feel satisfied that the four accounts of this portion on the night are easily reconciled, that's not our purpose for this message nor for the home group questions this week. You easily, like I say, you can figure this out on your own. We'll begin with verse 12. So the band of soldiers, their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. The sense that there were high priests every year, but Annas was like the godfather. So everything goes through Annas. And then he went on to Caiaphas. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews, you remember back in John 11, I believe it was, that, that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. <clears throat> Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, probably the Apostle John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are not one of this man's disciples, also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. He had to. He'd bring suspicion on himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him. I should have made a little shift in my voice. We're moving inside now for the trial, the beginnings of the trial. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand improperly. 
against the law. Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him. He straightened him out on this law. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about what the wrong, about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why did you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So we, so they said to him, "You also are not one of the disciples, are you?" He denied it and said, "I am not." One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. I think it's Luke that tells us Jesus looked at him, probably on his way from Annas to Caiaphas. And at once, a rooster crowed. Four thoughts from this text, beginning with, Put your trust in the Lord and allow him to lead you. Even when your heart and mind are confused about circumstances. Why do some people believe the gospel? And why do some people do not believe when they're confronted? Some believe, some do. We just do. The fact that we do believe may be one of the most comforting aspects of being a Christian. We just know. Know about what someone may ask. We know that God exists and that he has revealed himself to us in his word. We know that his word points to Jesus, our redeemer. We know that God is sovereign and good, and nothing happens by accident. We know how it all began. We know how it's going to end. And then something happens for which we are utterly unprepared. Once again, it's not that our faith is shaken, but our confidence may take a huge hit. We try to process it, make sense of it, We may follow at a distance like Peter, hoping against hope that everything will come good and we'll be able to make sense of what's going on. Finally, we settle into our new reality. And we're faced with two choices. Trust God or not. So we put a wrinkle into our thinking. What does God want me to learn from this? Look, sometimes there is a lesson for us when our worlds are turned upside down, but sometimes the only thing it seems that God wants us to do is to trust him. Even when it's all gone to pieces, when it makes no sense whatsoever. By no means am I saying that you should not be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you assume that God is teaching you something because he very well may be doing that. But have you ever been certain, okay, I think this is what God wants me to see from this difficulty, and then you discover, well, no, apparently that was not what God wanted me to get, and I'm more confused than ever. Maybe he just wants us to trust him. Now, what I'm going to say is going to come as quite a shock to you. We are living in confusing times. Somehow I think you knew that. 
The confusion may make it more difficult than it should be to apply this second point. Prepare your heart to stand for Jesus when called to do so. Even if standing does not take the form you anticipated. You've got to hand it to Peter. I mean, he was ready to stand for the Lord. The military group that came for Jesus was likely at least 100 strong. It was a a cohort, a Roman cohort, consisted of 600 soldiers. Don't know that all of them went, but there's evidence that there were Romans and Jewish temple guards both on the scene. They had torches, they had weapons, they were ready for action, and Peter was ready for them. Even though Jesus and the disciples were vastly outnumbered. The sword that Peter wielded was most likely a Roman short sword. And it was designed for stabbing and killing. He could have been going for the soldier's neck. And he deflected and got his ear. He was almost certainly trying to take his man out. But he only accomplished in severing the man's ear, which Jesus promptly healed and restored. You heard in today's prayer focus, what's at stake for believers? In a land that increasingly sees our understanding of God as the problem, not the solution. Pray that we will stand strong when the day comes. We must make sure, though, that we are standing for the right reason and in the proper manner. Peter seems to have always gotten a bum rap. But I think we would have admired him in the day. We wouldn't have said, oh, Peter, trying to walk in on water, the fool about got himself drowned. We would have said, did you see that? I mean, he literally walked over water for several steps before he started to sink. We wouldn't have have thought impetuous Peter waving his sword around like it was a game. It was no game to him. We would have said, my goodness, Peter stepped up. I wish I had been brave enough to stand, step up. We all thought it was the right thing to do, even though we were wrong. I was a coward. Peter was brave. Only Peter had the courage to stand and fight. But even though he was courageous, he was wrong. I've been there, haven't you? I mean, I thought I was so brave and so spiritual, but I was dying on the wrong hill. If we have any courage at all as believers, it's far easier to do that than not do it. We want to die on the wrong hill, or we plan to, try to. I'm sure that Peter's impulsiveness played a role in his eventual denial of Jesus. There was no way that he was going to be able to immediately process all that had happened. So he he tried to make sense of it by following Jesus. He had been, especially after years of being so certain that he knew where God was leading him and how God was going to bring the kingdom. 
So what dream of yours lies shattered on the ground? It's not that you think God has abandoned you, nor are you attempted to walk away from God, but maybe you're almost paralyzed with confusion. Trust God and be prepared, prepared because you may have to stand for him much sooner than you think when everything is on the line. How have you done in the past when you're called to stand for Jesus? If you have failed, there is good news for you in this third point. Peter's denial was not the same as Judas' betrayal. Be comforted in Jesus' love and forgiveness of you. Peter, so passionate, so ready to act, was put in his place by the Savior, whom he loved with all his heart. And then he failed. We get a glimpse in the English, but in the Greek, it's even stronger that the questions Peter was asked were framed in such a way that a negative answer was anticipated. Wait, you're not one of the disciples. No, can't be. You wouldn't be here. No, surely not. And it was easy for Peter to say, no, no, of course not. Maybe he convinced himself, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spying. I'm, I'm, I'm in here amongst the enemy. In the end, brave Peter faltered. Peter, fighting with sword, going into the enemy's camp to see what would become of Jesus, failed in the end to stand. This one who had made the amazing confession of Christ's divinity, this one who had been told by Jesus that he would be a key figure. Get it? A key figure in the establishment and growth of Jesus' church on the earth. This Peter denied that he was a follower of Jesus. So was Peter done after denying Jesus? We know the answer, no. He would fail again in Antioch, as Galatians 2 tells us, and the council in Jerusalem of Acts 15 is all about Peter siding with the legalizers, people who came into Antioch from Jerusalem saying, it's fine to worship Jesus, but it's Jesus and the law. It's not Jesus alone will not save you. It's Jesus and the law. Peter said, well, you know, I think, I'm, I'm, I think he, he, they may have something here. I mean, we're Jews after all, right? This is after Peter had taken the gospel to the Gentiles. He had affirmed it with Samaritans. He still waffled. Why? Because he was changing his mind? No, because he was afraid of the legalizers. Was he done after that? <laughs> no. Tradition tells us, and it may be true. I've gone back and forth on whether I think... What I, depending on what I read, I re have read enough that say both, like, nah, probably not, but others that say, oh, yeah, very likely. But Peter, <clears throat> when he was faced with martyrdom, asked to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm unworthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. This may sound strange to you, 
But God was gracious in giving Peter not just a second chance, but a third chance to stand for the Lord. I love Peter's heart and passion for Jesus. And like Peter, I have failed miserably at times. And I know that many of you would say, yeah, I'm in that category as well. Here's the good news. If you're sitting here this morning longing for intimate fellowship, relationship with the Lord, you may be guilty of Peter's denial. But you're not guilty of Judas' betrayal. Last, accept that God shines through your weaknesses more than through your strength. This last point is really just an extension of the third point. And I only have one thing to say about it. I'm confident the Holy Spirit will make much application in your heart and mind. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my good friend Denton White, and we were just talking about stuff that we had read. And I asked Denton, I said, don't you just wish you had a photographic memory? I know people like that. They remember everything they read. They know where it is on the page and all that. And I really do wish that I had that. I've had that desire for a long time. And didn't response both convicted and encouraged the mess out of me. Yeah, he said, sometimes I think it would be nice, but I find that God uses me far more through my weaknesses than he does through my strength. Amen. Confusing times? Yes. Faithful Savior, even when we are faithful, double, triple, yes, yes, yes. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, we confess that we are far more like Peter than Jesus in this Story And in fact, that's the whole story of Scripture. There's only one hero in all Scripture, and that's Jesus. And we look to Him not only for salvation, but for comfort and peace and courage and strength to stand and wisdom to stand for the right things. We yield ourselves afresh and anew, admitting that we're just as confused as we ever were. And we need the Holy Spirit to bring clarity to our hearts and our minds according to the word. And we can feel confident that this will be the case eventually anyway for us because of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.